In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is July 18th, and Atlanta United was beat by New England 1-0 on Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The only and winning goal was scored by Gustavo Bo in the 18th minute with assists from Buxa and Captoon. It was an odd play. Uh, Captoon was on the right wing, crossed it into Buxa, who pretty much almost sat on the ball, uh, which drew two defenders. Boo ran off his left shoulder. No one tracked Boo. I think it was supposed to be Amar Sadich's responsibility, but it was a little bit confusing because there were quite a few players there. Uh, Boo took a shot, took a deflection, went past Alec Can. Can couldn't have stopped the deflection, uh, and that was the only goal. Atlanta United has now stretched its winless streak to a franchise record eight games. It has been shut out in four of its past five games. It has scored just 13 goals. And it's 13 games, and it has two games upcoming this week, uh, one at Cincinnati and its beautiful new stadium on a day when apparently President Biden is also going to be in town right down the street. So if you're going, plan accordingly. And then we'll host Columbus on Saturday in a very, very tough turnaround. Uh, just So Thursday will be a day of recovery. Friday will be a day of prep. And then you got to host a surging Columbus team that just beat NYCFC last night and is six points or seven points clear of them in the playoff picture in sixth place. Atlanta United remains in 10th. Right now, its only realistic shot to make the playoffs is catching the seventh place team, which it trails by four points. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I'm also now doing more videos on Instagram, mostly talking about the starting lineups when they came out. So if you want to follow me there, it's Douglas David Robertson. Y'all sent me a bunch of excellent questions. I'm going to get to in one second after I take a quick coffee break sip, which Joe Patrick loves when I do on the podcast. Ah, Got to love a good cup of coffee. All right, let's get to your questions here. And there are lots of them because there are quite a few things to talk about if you haven't been following Atlanta United. Nick asks, I am sad. My question is, how does our season get any better? Well, scoring goals would be a start. Um, When Gabriel Heinze was hired, we were promised, uh, y'all were promised, I should say, uh, attacking soccer, similar to what Gerardo Martino did in his first two seasons. Instead, you're getting a goal a game. Atlanta United's expected goal last night was 0.6. You're not going to win a game with an expected goal of 0. Point, or too many games with expected goals of 0. 0.6. Uh, they only put two shots on goal in the second half, both of which came from way outside the penalty box. Uh, really didn't create a whole lot of anything that would be considered threatening in the second half when the game was on the line. This has been a problem for this team. Going back to last year under Stephen Glass and Frank DeBoer, going back to parts of 2018 under Frank DeBoer, 
when it's three different managers, at some point you got to start looking at the talent pool and trying to figure out what is the best use. Are these players going to do what we need them to do? I don't know the answer. Um, I think there is talent on the roster, but figuring out how to put it together right now, it's been a challenge for quite a few guys. Rob says, any positives you take away from today's result? For no Jart, Joseph, Barco, Hyman, Dom, Guzan, Robinson, Bello, Sosa, or Ibarra, a win or loss to the top team in the East seems like reason for hope. Yep, it is reason for hope, except even when those guys were all playing, the team was still losing games one to nothing uh, or drawing two to two or things like that. Uh, that's, I guess, the concerning part. There were some positives. I thought that George Campbell and his first uh, MLS start played very well. Alan Franco and his return to the starting lineup after missing the past few games with injuries uh, played very well. Both carry the ball forward, which is kind of in that uh, Miles Robinson super sweeper blog I talked, I wrote a couple of weeks ago that I thought one of the center backs needs to start doing more to try to create some numerical advantages. They couldn't take advantage of them, mostly because Atlanta United remains, for the most part, a really static team when it has the ball. Typically, the only runs you'll see are long runs from the opposite side of the field, which is great, except it takes those passes so long to get into that space that the defense has time to adjust. There's very few short runs or, or runs near the guy with the ball just to create one, two short passing combinations. You saw maybe one or two of those last night. I don't understand why, but that's just how it is uh, with this team. I thought Amar Sadich uh, had a really good game for Atlanta United last night in his debut with the club. He was acquired in a trade for Montreal last week. He led the team with, I think it was five or six tackles. He was doing a lot of one-touch passing, uh, but he it was really one of the few. Uh, so th those were some of the good reasons for hope. I've got a lot of questions from different Adams here. The first one is, what was Chol, Chol's role supposed to be today? He covered a lot of ground, but I couldn't see it as part of a design. Uh, also, is he not in game shape to play 90? Uh, Chol made, he was one of the one making a lot of those runs from a long way off the ball. And the first half, you saw him making runs close to the ball, but no one was ever passing it to him. Um, I, I guess maybe his teammates just aren't used to him yet and they're getting used to him. The one time that I saw was tried, I think it was Marcelino Moreno, and he he put just a little too much on it, and it was uh, picked up by the goalkeeper, Knighton. Um, but that those runs behind the line, kind of pushing that, that back line back, is what it, Atlanta United needs more of, and Chole was doing it, and I guess maybe he did it so often he just kind of ran himself into the ground. Um, the second question from this Adam is the front office aware that they're driving the fan base toward apathy? The lack of winning is one thing, but the failure of the club to embody the sense of community, the lack of a clear direction, the now two years of dysfunction. This was the weakest crowd I've seen for an MLS match. The support was tepid and the fans left quickly. The rapport between fans and club are not what they were. Um, yeah, I think I could agree with that. Um, the attendance last night of 42-517 is the fourth smallest crowd for a, a league match at Mercedes-Benz Stadium for Atlanta United. Um, it wasn't nearly as loud as it had been. The loudest chant you heard was the Oh Joseph Martinez chant, which uh, was in the seventh minute and then like again in the 88th minute, I think it was. Atlanta United has a tendency when things start going bad, uh, they don't go on 92-9 as often as they do when they're winning. Um, they kind of become insular. 
in my opinion, and I think you're starting to see some of that now, which affects relations with the community. I know Darren Eels was in the Gulch yesterday talking to fans, so that's a good sign. Uh, but that's just kind of how things start happening uh, with the club. Rob asks, do you believe Joseph and Heinze are here next season? So to catch everyone up super quickly, uh, Joseph was called up to Venezuela to play in the Copa America in Brazil. He was there. He tested positive for COVID, even though he'd already been vaccinated. He had to quarantine in a hotel room for two to three weeks, didn't get the train, nothing. When he came back to Atlanta, he was training by himself while he could get his fitness back. But then something happened after July, between July 7th and July 15th, between he and Heinze, that resulted in Heinze deciding that Joseph was not going to train with the first team, and he wasn't included in yesterday's game day roster. A very curious decision considering that Lenny on his trouble scoring. So then Heinze, after the game, first question from me, was asked, the team's been shut out in four of its past five. Is Joseph going to return to the club for these two games upcoming? Was told. Joseph is going to start training with the first team again. Don't know if he's going to be fit enough for Wednesday's game at Cincinnati. So that implies that he will be for Saturday against Columbus. Um, Heinz, I wouldn't say what is going on between he and Joseph. He said he's keeping that in the locker room. I think Joseph will be here next season. Uh, he's always said he's not going to leave Atlanta unless Atlanta doesn't want him anymore. As far as Heinz, I don't know. If things don't improve, and right now you're not seeing – the word that Darren Eels used last year with regard to letting Frank DeBoer go, the phrase, it was something like positive inertia, positive momentum building blocks. And in my opinion, you're not seeing that with Heinze right now. But Heinze is also dealing with all the national call-ups and all those injuries. So in that regard, I think he should be given the benefit of the doubt. So I really can't tell you yet if both are going to be here next season. I think Joseph definitely will. We'll see about Heinze. This is a very, very long question from, I don't know if it's the same Adam or the other Adam. I need to go back and look at the last names. So please bear with me. I'm going to take a quick coffee sip while I gear up mentally for this. All right. There's a popular idea slash hypothesis that a team will ultimately take on the characteristics of their coach. And that will in turn determine the team's relationship with the fans. The Braves under Bobby Cox were approachable, talented, and passionate, but arguably lacked the killer edge to win more than one lone World Series. Quick take on that. I think Bobby Cox is an overrated manager. He had some of the best base stealers in the history of baseball. I would never let them steal a base. It was the anti-money ball. Drove me crazy. And when you're in the playoffs in the World Series, you have to manufacture runs. You can't wait on the home run. And he refused to do that. And so only in that regard do I think he's overrated. Maybe, maybe as a strategic manager, not as like a player manager or anything like that. Game time decisions maybe would drive me nuts. But anyway, look at teams under Pat Riley. Back to Adam. Look at teams under Pat Riley, Greg Popovich, Urban Meyer, Bill Belichick, and so on. Now look at Atlanta United. Gerardo Martino, passionate, familial, tactical savvy, wanting to have fun, wants players to be happy but disciplined, an easy coach to love that produces an easy team to love. DeBoer, a ride with baggage and came across as aloof. Smart but reserved. His rapport with players and fans is professional, but seemingly just that. More of a boss than a leader. So the fans responded by not falling in love and thinking purely of results. Heinze, passionate but also frenetic. Where Tata was excitable, Gabriel is more anxious. 
Heinze exudes Tata's energy, but DeBoer's more rigid style and command structure. As a result, fans want to love him, but he's giving a vibe that suggests he's not as vested. He'd seemingly rather the team do things his way than win or be happy. I'm not sure what this bodes for the team's future, but I do know the angst among fans I spoke with resonates with the vibe presented by each coach as shown above. The question now is, would we as fans prefer a Tata-like character, even if he didn't win, or would we be willing to take any sourpuss as long as we're celebrating trophies? You know, I've actually been kind of thinking about this for a while, the difference in the personalities of the coach. Tata was beloved because he won. He didn't do things with the fans. He didn't do radio. He didn't do TV. He didn't do in-game radio. He was loved because he won. Was he a nice guy? Yes, he was a nice guy. Always with a smile. Would always talk to you when he went past. Those kind of things. Just a good guy. Frank DeBoer, also a good guy. Um, would talk, do the do the media stuff. Not as much of the community relations, but that may have been more an Atlanta United decision than anything else. I don't know. Um, so in that regard, they're kind of the same. Frank would always talk to you, always smile on his face, a good guy. Hindsight, I don't know because we're not around the training site. I wasn't with the team uh, at its training in the preseason, uh, which is different than previous years, and that's just because of COVID and travel and stuff. That's when you can really get a, a good idea of a coach's personality. I know Heinze is hyper-focused on the players to the point that he doesn't really, I, I hear from people in and outside the, the team, doesn't really interact with anybody else with the team, is very aloof, uh, hasn't really made a point of trying to introduce himself to anybody outside or within the team who's not a part of the immediate first team or the twos. Um, so in that regard, yeah, he's hyper-focused on the first team. My opinion, he just needs to chill a little bit. That intensity is, is rubbing off on the players, it, I think. It makes people very nervous, very high-strung, very stressed, very worried about making mistakes, and you can't play sports that way. You just can't. You will not succeed. Um, you know, I've shared that sometimes when the Atlanta United gets like this, I think the front office gets a little bit paranoid, and that filters on down through everyone else. I think you're seeing that with Heinze. He's so intense that the players can't relax and they can't perform, and he needs to chill. Joshua asks, in your opinion, assuming Bocanegra leaves following this season, I think that's a big assumption, by the way, and Heinzer remains to the end of his contract, which is a two-year deal, but I, I bet both have options. How many seasons or transfer windows, take your pick, is this team from reaching the level it did during 2018 and to a degree 2019? So Bocanegra's contract allegedly ends in March, but I bet it has options on it. Heinz's contract allegedly is two years, but I believe it has options on it because that's how Atlanta United does things. Tata Martino's contract had an option on it, and he just didn't exercise it. I do think Bocanegra will be given an option to come back. Uh, I think he, he probably will. Um, who wants to leave something like this if it continues? I think he wants to show he knows what he's doing. He's a former professional athlete, a very good one, one of the best ever. He's going to want to show that he can get this fixed. As far as transfer windows, the team has, a team is as good as its designated players. Atlanta United's designated players don't play like designated players right now. We know the book on Barco. He's never going to play like a designated player. Joseph needs to come back and show and work his way back mentally and physically to show he's still a lethal finisher. 
Alan Franco is a designated player only because of MLS rules, not because of uh, his potential impact as a goal scorer. I think he's going to be a fine center back. So Atlanta United needs to go. It needs to sell Barco one way or the other, buy down Franco, and go find two impactful DPs. Guys that will create goals, guys that will create goal-scoring chances. Barco and Franco aren't going to be it. So you could do it in one window if you want to. You just got to hit on both guys. Now here's a really fun question. This might be the most fun I've ever gotten on this podcast. How many of this season's first-choice 11 would break into the starting 11 of the MLS Cup final squad? So here's the starting 11 on that day in 2018 against Portland at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, of course, won by Atlanta United. Brad Guzan in goal. It was a back three of Jeff Lernowitz, Michael Parkhurst, and Leandro Gonzalez-Perez. We finished, I think, third or second in Defender of the Year voting that year. Wingbacks were Franco Escobar and Greg Garza. Midfield was Eric Rometty, who had a fantastic first season with Atlanta United. Donington Nagby, Julian Gressel, Miguel Almiron in the midfield, and Joseph Martinez, a striker. So, who among today's 11 would start? Well, Brad Guzan and, and Joseph Martinez would. You look at Atlanta United center backs right now, maybe Miles Robinson ahead of Jeff Lernowitz. And remember, Jeff is more of a midfielder than a center back. So that's one. I wouldn't put Brooks Lennon ahead of Franco Escobar because he was money in the playoffs that year. George Bellow over Greg Garza. I think Greg Garza's offense was a much more of a finished product than George Bellow's. Bellow's probably better defensively, so I'm keeping Garza. Eric Rometty, definitely better than Santiago Sosa at the time, both offensively and defensively. Darlington Nagby, still staying. Julian Gressel. I think Brooks Lennon is a fine wing back, but Julian Gressel and Joseph Martinez had a rapport that Lennon and Martinez have yet had an opportunity to develop. Miguel Amaron, not a chance. Anybody's replacing that, and Joseph Martinez. So maybe one, Miles Robinson for Jeff Lernowitz. And that's only because Atlanta United was playing a back three in that game. I wouldn't put Robinson ahead of Parkhurst or LGP in that game. Matt asks, United is missing a lot of players, but it's not like the club was lighting it up while they were here, which is a point I made before. So considering the opposition, even with New England missing a few themselves, the Joseph situation aside, how upset should I be about today's result? That's up to you. Uh, I would be upset that the team really couldn't put a legitimate shot on goal in the second half when it was trailing one to nothing and needed that goal to draw. I would be upset with the man marking system, which kind of broke down on that goal, which keeps happening game after game. I would be happy with some of the young guys I've already mentioned. Fong asks, I really liked how Sadich played today. Do you think that it'll be possible for him to line up in a three midfield formation with Sosa and Moreno? Or will Heinze stick to two midfielders like he's been doing? Yeah, I think I think he can. I think Sadich can take over that defensive midfielder role and allow Sosa to move forward. Um, and let Moreno almost play as a second striker in that case. So in this way, it would be like a 3-4 uh, or a 3-5-1-1. Instead of a 3-4-2, um, we may see on Wednesday. Sean asks, is there really a transfer that is going to turn this around? I think so. Again, if they can sell Barco at a rate that works, of course, you have to have a buyer, as I repeatedly said. Buy down Franco and get another DP, then yeah, this thing can get turned around pretty quickly. 
Uh, can we hold Darren and Carlos accountable? We can. It's up to you how you do it. Season ticket renewals are going out right now. You can choose not to renew. You can stop buying merchandise. Uh, I don't, you know, those are a few ways. I don't want to tell you how to do live your life, but those are pretty common ways um, that fans have done in the past. Octavio asks, uh, with regards to Heinz's intense training regimen, do you believe this process is doing more harm than good considering the inordinate amount of players that are injured? We don't get to see training, but you hear the players talk about how much the team trains, how often they train, and then you see the list of injuries, and you do have to try to put or go from A to B. So, yeah, I think that it is probably doing more harm than good right now. And that goes back to that intensity, that stress level, that worrying about making mistakes. Just when you get tired mentally, you you make mistakes physically, and things break down. Um, so that's why it's a 30-man roster. You're supposed to try to use everybody. I'm going to wrap this up. Add another Adam, or it might be the same Adam. Do you think Atlanta will make the playoffs this season? That is a really, really tough question. If this gap between it and six and seven gets bigger before Robinson and Guzan and Barco and Bello return, then no. I think it'll be too much to overcome um, to make the playoffs. If they can keep it to at least seventh around four points and to sixth around six points, then, yeah, I think they can. The East is just very, very tough and very, very good this year. It's hard to see anyone moving backward. The good thing for Atlanta United is it's most of the schedule is east against east. So there, some people are going to kind of cannibalize others. It's hard to see Montreal staying up there at 22 points. Nashville just added some more attacking players. It's got 22 points. Columbus is going to get better. It's got 20. NYCFC with 17. Red Bulls with 17. D.C. playing well under Hernan Osada with 16. It's just very, very tough to see Atlanta United making up that gap. Cincinnati's playing a lot better. Toronto is starting to improve with nine points. Miami just remains a cluster at the bottom with eight. Um, it's going to be tough for Atlanta United to make the playoffs. All right, I'm going to check my email and see if we have any more questions from you good people. Let me check the Twitters and see if there's any more questions. Um, yep, there's one more here from Luis Pacheco. And if I mispronounce your name, I apologize. Do you think Heinze is too proud slash stubborn to change? I feel since Philly in the Champions League, instead of learning from the situation and eating humble pie after being outcoached, he has doubled down and the team has gotten worse. Uh, yeah, I think there was an overcorrection after that Philly game to kind of reduce that aggressiveness on offense, not trust the, the few guys on defense who can break up the attacks, um, and maybe a lack of respect for Philadelphia and its skill. And the team just has never found that gear again uh, in a game. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if he's too proud or stubborn to change, but I do think there was an overcorrection after the Philadelphia game. Um, and that's it. All right, we're wrapping up this edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Uh, the podcast for the Cincinnati game won't come out until Friday because getting up early Thursday morning and going to my daughter's college orientation. She's going to uh, be enrolled at Georgia College and State University in Milledgeville 
We're all very, very excited about that. So please look for that podcast on that Friday. And I hope you all are doing well. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,